Well, hey, thanks for coming. Uh, Sunday nights are so encouraging for so many reasons. It's really been missing in our body life, so thank you for being here. Tonight will be a little bit different, kind of like last time. Uh, in September, we'll do some Q&A because we just want to make sure there's clarity. We want to teach, teach, teach. Anytime there's going to be any type of shift, we just want to be on the same page. We want to f- show from the scripture uh, where we're coming from and want to make sure uh, we have clarity uh, going forward. So that's why we're having another. Where there may be lots of questions, maybe none, and we can skip ahead to praying together. But wanted to have another opportunity before our first members meeting, which would be uh, November 7th. So next time. Uh, just a couple comments before we open it up, though. If I were to try to summarize where we've been in seven weeks, uh, here's a shot at it. Jesus is the head of the church. He rules through his word, who gives, Ephesians 4, elders to equip members, Ephesians 4, to exercise the keys of the kingdom, Matthew 18, through meaningful covenant membership, discipleship, and discipline. It's kind of where we've been in a nutshell. And remember, it's nothing new. Again, it may be new to you. Some of it's not new to you. But I always want to keep emphasizing the last, I don't know, uh, probably in the 20s, certainly past the 50s, it was just normal Baptist practice. And this is really what has made Baptist unique in a lot of ways. Uh, Baptists, we Baptists don't believe in tradition. It's against our historic position. Womp, womp, womp. But uh, this is the Baptist tradition to do this well. And of course we do it because we think the Bible teaches it. So any questions about anything we've covered in the last seven weeks that would be helpful to talk about or clarify? Need an icebreaker. Way in the back. Which part? Jesus is the head of the church who gives elders to equip members so that they might faithfully exercise the keys of the kingdom through meaningful covenant membership, comma, discipleship, comma, and discipline, period. Elder-led congregationalism. Hello. Does this work? Okay. Um, my question is with regard to children and baptism. A child who has made a profession of faith, you're seeing fruit in their life, and they are initiating conversations about baptism. Um, how do you recommend discipling your child through that, and what is the preferred way that the church sees that, you know, we don't want to obviously have false assurance given to a child, you know, you know what I'm saying. <laughs> Yeah, so, yeah, if I don't, if I don't answer it, uh, keep the mic. But baptism and children, generally, so the, or are you tying in membership? Well, I mean, kind of both. Okay, so let me, let me give it a shot and see what you think. So anytime children express interest in baptism, we want to encourage, 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 right? Um, the challenge with children, and especially in college ministry, so many of our uh, interview, member interviews with college kids are those who are baptized at five, six, seven, eight, and um, are doubting it now. In fact, the last membership interview I had, um, she said, it was a college student, and she had actually got baptized because she just didn't have a memory of it. She was so young, she just didn't have a memory and felt like, you know, at the very least, I ought to have a memory of it. I think she was five or six. Um, 
so generally we want to we want to wait generally speaking um, and and see some fruit but we want to encourage faith so as we're doing it we're teaching about the importance of faith how excited we are that God's working in your life but we want to wait and with our view of baptism being a symbol not salvific we have nothing to lose in this sense to wait a little bit and just see some fruit. Children want to, good children, especially which this church is full of, want to please their parents. Uh, sometimes it's other peer pressure. Sometimes, in fact, uh, I'm trying to think how personal. I always want to be very careful about sharing stories about my own kids. Um, so I won't. I just play it safe. But it's just good to ask questions. Like, I want to be baptized. That's awesome. How come? And then usually <laughs> there's a lot of, lot of information shared in that next answer. Uh, but oftentimes, we believe God can save five-year-olds, right? We believe God can save six-year-olds. Some of that's your testimony. Um, so we just want to encourage. We want to keep asking questions. And as they're persistent and growing in their faith, we'll then want to meet with one of us, usually Nathan or Josh, and have them ask some questions as an external, ex- external question. And really what we're looking for is just an understanding of the gospel. We really want to hear about sin from a child. You know, you really don't grasp the gospel until you understand your sin. And I need a savior. So it's not just, well, I want to be like my friend or I want to be able to take communion or I want to uh, please you, my parents. But we want to see that they have an understanding of their sin and therefore need of salvation in that regard. Um, and one of the main ways we're going to see that with children is disobedience to parents. So we want them to be able to acknowledge, you know, oftentimes I don't obey my parents or sibling rivalry. Can I get an amen? I, I shouldn't fight against my siblings kind of thing. So does that help? You want to add anything? Uh, no. Okay. <laughs> yeah, okay. M- membership, so it depends on the age in some ways. Our Help me out, elders, wherever it's at, is that a, you're not a voting member until you're 18. Is that written? Never remember what's in our bylaws, it's in our policy manual, what's in our written. Okay, so voting members would be at 18 um, in terms of when we have votes, which hasn't meant a lot until now. So I will add something now. So, so at this point, you know, we've, we've talked about membership. Uh, it would begin at that point that um, we would then, after baptizing a child, we're affirming as a church their faith. And this is something we try to talk about every time we baptize is, Whoever's in the pool with the person, they're not the one administering the ordinance. We as the church are administering the ordinance of baptism. So we affirm their baptism uh, as a church together corporately, and then we watch that child's life and conduct. And so the, the same things that we're talking about in, in loving one another, well, we extend also to that child. Now, obviously, that child is, by the Lord's grace, in most instances, under uh, the care of a household, and so we would work specifically with those over the household, so particularly the parents, to um, watch that child. And when we see patterns of sin, we would work through the parents to say, hey, we, we see this pattern, this, your child's professing to be a believer, and so we want to call them to repentance and call them to faith, just like we would anybody else. And so at that point, all of the benefits of what it means to be a part of the covenant community are attributed to them. They, they are encouraged in their faith, they're watched over in their life and their conduct, just like any adult would be. The, the voting to, as I think all, as we would understand it, is a secondary benefit to being counted as a part of the covenant community of Christ. Yeah, that's good. Really good book called Your Child's Profession of Faith by Dennis Gunderson. Your Child's Profession of Faith. 
so brought up a good point. Once that child turns 18, um, if they wanted to become a voting member, then we would ask them to go through the, the membership class and process as well um, to kind of solidify that affirmation of the church and that kind of thing. Yeah, it's, you know, some of y'all, this was my testimony too. Some of y'all have had this testimony. I think, I think we're too quick to baptize, generally speaking, especially as, Bapti- as Baptists. We've, and remember the, remember the numbers I've shared with y'all, really discouraging statistics. I think some of it is we're just too quick to baptize when we ought to wait a little while, watch, examine life, let the world press in on a child a little bit. I was encouraged. I was listening to an interview with Max Stiles who came to do our Abilene Theology Conference. He's very staunchly uh, Jurassic Park Baptist Church, church like we are. And uh, he was talking about his kids who professed faith very, very early, but they actually weren't baptized. I think, don't quote me on this, but I think it was like 18 as one of them and one was 21 or 22 years old. Um, they just waited and waited until basically, literally he said, we just wanted to wait until our children said, daddy, you're making me be disobedient to Jesus. I need to be baptized. <laughs> so other questions? Yeah, good question. So that's Ephesians 4, which by the way, just in case you missed it, I love this passage. Notice how Jesus leaves the structure of the church. Jesus has ascended and he doesn't leave us alone. He sends gifts, apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherd, teachers, apostles and prophets were foundational. Now we have the New Testament, evangelists, modern day missionaries, basically shepherd teachers, which would be functionally elders, uh, shepherds who teach, teachers who shepherd. Uh, and what's their goal? And that's the rest of the passage to equip the saints so that they would go do the work of the ministry. And it's all word work. So the fundamental place is actually Sunday mornings uh, where it goes out. But that's not just the pulpit. That's everything what we're doing. It's the teaching ministry. It's word, word, word that goes out. And one author uses the language of that word then goes and reverberates uh, around the congregation as everyone's speaking the truth in love. So it's not like some new program. It's just the ministry of the word that's already happening that then is to be taken. So some of it is an empowering, a pushing, a realizing that anytime we're teaching the word, it's not to stop with you. It's to be a conduit. You're hearing, you're learning, you're being edified. And if it stops with us, that's the problem with the Pharisees. We are then to go take that not only to unbelievers, but to one another, right? Speaking the truth and love to one another. Whole host of small other things that we do, but that's the main thing, the word ministry. Um, so I have a situation where somebody is very interested in becoming a Christian, but is absolutely scared to death of the process of having to be in front of the congregation as a whole. So how, how are we going to approach that? So like as a new member, you mean? Yeah, to become a new member. So I have somebody who's not a believer who wants to become a believer, but she's afraid if she becomes a believer, then she's got to go talk to this elder and that's freaking her out. And then she has to go in front of the congregation and she's just like, I ain't doing it. Yeah, yeah. Well, I would say first. That's small and according to the big picture of believing. Right. I was about to say, when she's converted, I bet that problem shrinks very small and she will then be excited to come identify publicly with Christ. But just, just to answer the question. 
the process would be, there's a lot of outs. And as y'all know, we make it fairly, fairly hard to join the church on purpose, right? So again, the process, if you're new, is you would express interest. We've got a class, I think, in November. Register for the class. You do a little gospel study. You want to make sure you understand the gospel. Look up some verses, answer some questions, pretty brief and basic. And then share a testimony on the back. And we get that. And then you come to a class, three hours, starts out with the gospel again. And then a bunch of stuff about our church, who we are, what we do, what we believe, how we're structured. And then after that, if they're still desiring to take a next step, they'll sign up for an interview with an elder that's anywhere from 20 to 45 minutes typically. And if obviously they've got to be believers at this point, right? But if they're believers and agree to the church covenant that we read this morning uh, and they're ready to do that, then I think our goal is at least two weeks out. So let's say, well, November 7th. So soon we're going to be announcing, I don't remember the number. It's, it's a decent amount, 15 to 20 new members. And so uh, we're going to be just saying, hey, we're going to be voting on these members. If you're a member, come November 7th, we'll come up and um, we'll show probably just a picture on the screen because some of y'all won't have the opportunity to meet the person. So they won't be here during that part. We'll say, hey, if you're, if you're here, glad you're here. Why don't you step out for a moment as we talk about you <laughs> and then uh, <laughs> basically share a brief testimony where they came from, how they grew up, uh, you know, what they're doing in the city, just so you get to know them a little bit, but mostly focus on their testimony. They were baptized at this place and the elders recommend them for membership and we would vote at that point. So they actually don't have to get up. We will share their testimony most of the time on their behalf. So when you're, when you're saying that we're going to vote for them, if we don't know these people at all, how do we, with all good conscience, say, sure, they're, you know, they're, they're good. Do we do it just based on y'all's recommendation as elders or are we supposed to go try and meet these people? I mean, like, what is our responsibility? We're saying yes, but we don't know them. How does that? Yes, yes, yes. Um, so we, part of it is hopefully anyone who's joining the church. Now I know it's hard. We we're, we're a decent sized church where this is not super easy, but ideally, someone who, even before they take the class, has been around a decent amount. It's rare that someone shows up, wants to join. So normally, they've been attending for a decent amount of time before they even take the class. Um, but the hope is, by the time they've been attending, take the class, we tell you who they are, and vote on them, that many of you, certainly not all, but many of you have had an opportunity to get to know them and pursue them. Then on top of that, as we vet them, we're still an elder-led church, elder-led congregationalism, um, trusting, trusting the elders. And if there is a, a gap in a testimony, asking about it, hey, what about this? And part of this is, you know, maybe you, you know the person and, and know something doctrinally or know something going on in their life. This is where it's, it's a, really is a vetting process to keep the church pure. If you're like, oh, yeah, I work at so-and-so and they're regularly coming in inebriated and, or they're constant, I'm live next door to them. And they're, you know, there's are questions we want to double tap on. But if you've never met them at all, hopefully by hearing the testimony, knowing our process, multiple step process, and then trusting the elders to do their work. And we will make mistakes at times, but we're going to work hard not to. Maybe knows them and feels otherwise, they could also say nay 
Have, you can, yeah, well, obviously you can, you can do as you feel led. We would encourage you, though, to trust the elders and vote, vote an affirmative unless there's some missing piece in their testimony or something like that. I've, I, the vast majority of our members' meetings should be, on the one hand, you might say this is pointless because, Lord willing, if we're a healthy church, and praise God we already are, like this is really just putting a little structure to what's already happening with body life at Southside and discipleship, um, the, the vast majority of votes will be unanimous and checking a box. But what I've tried to show over seven weeks is it's so much more than checking a box. You may say like, okay, uh, no, Jesus gave you the keys of the kingdom. And so it's a very significant thing, actually. Okay, I and I'm going to do my part, limited in scope always, but to help this person follow the Lord and to pray for them and to do life with them. And those are the easy ones. It's on the way out when it gets a lot harder, right? And Lord willing, church discipline in terms of excommunication is very, very, very rare. Lord willing, the vast majority of us voting out are people who moved. And with our church, there'll be a whole lot of college kids. So-and-so graduated. We were just praying today uh, at elders meeting, praying for y'all proactively. And uh, Madison Hemingway has moved to Liberty and has not yet landed on a church. But maybe by November 7th, she will land on a church. Hey, y'all know Madison. She joined so-and-so. Or she joined back, you know, in whatever year. She just joined to this church. Uh, We received a letter. We want to recommend we voting her out. And so that's not church discipline, but it's meaningful membership. Because as elders, Hebrews 13, 17, we're responsible for her soul. We will give an account for her soul. So we want, to take, we want to take shepherding really seriously. It's not like, oh, Madison left. Hope she does well. No, it's, it's making sure she lands in a gospel preaching church. And then again, this is all, some of y'all know the, the Baptist churches, they would send letters. This was just the old way. There were letters. So-and-so joined and transferred by letter. It's just a forgotten practice because so many churches don't do meaningful membership anymore. So am I hearing you correct in saying that there's not necessarily a certain number of yeses or a certain number of noes that we're trying to achieve with voting a member in? Well, I, I would say our goal is it's always uh, unanimous if we've done our work, a unanimous yes. That's always the goal. And it would be the same with if we ever came to a church discipline situation. That would be the goal is that we've informed and led and that all votes are unanimously yes. They won't be, but that's a goal. Can you speak to you just for a second about the difference in being baptized in the church and becoming a member of the church? Like what if someone came and they wanted to be saved and they wanted to be baptized, but for whatever reason they didn't want to necessarily join the church? I mean, I realize that's kind of a rare instance, but mm-hmm. just the difference in being baptized solely right. and joining the church specifically. Yeah, great question. So Acts, what is it, 2.41, baptized into the church. I think that's the norm, that people are baptized into the church. There is one exception that uh, I don't think we should put a whole lot of weight with, but the Ethiopian eunuch uh, was not baptized into a local church so far as we know. Um, So we don't want to make normal practice based on exceptions. So it seems that the norm is they're baptized into the local church. Now, having said that, we have and will, on rare exceptions, baptize someone that's not joining our church. 
what was the, what was, we did that, what was the, do you remember? I don't remember the individual, but they were planning to move. We were confident that they were a believer, and they were planning to move within the next month. Yes. And yeah. so we were, we, we baptized them as an affirmation, this is a believer, we're confident in their, in their faith, and so they went with our recommendation to the church that they joined. I honestly don't remember who it was, but that was the yeah. reasoning behind that. But again, that's the exception to the rule. Yeah. Yeah, and in that case, actually, I and probably others encouraged them to do it at the place they were headed. Um, but they just had a conviction. We want to do it now. We want to do it here. It was a kind of unique situation. She grew up Church of Christ. Uh, and so we, we did that. But part of our encouragement was to be baptized into the local church, but also where she's going to land and be with a new faith family. It's meaning, more meaningful than, hey, we'll baptize you, see you, than, hey, I'm here in a new city, plugging in. So think the norm is into church membership, but there are exceptions at times, like if they're moving away or some, there could be other exceptions that I don't know about. But in general, I think we need to be baptizing into the local church. I think that's the New Testament pattern in Acts. But it's not to become a member of the church. In other words, you're not, you're not getting baptized Oh, gotcha, yeah. Right, yeah, but, but, yeah, so it's, it's, baptism is about public identification, but having said that, I don't think we have any, in this membership group, we may, uh, but if someone hadn't been baptized as a believer, they wouldn't join until they were baptized. So, and we may announce it that way. We may say so-and-so uh, wants to join. We, we, want to incur we do recommend them being voted pending baptism. Maybe we haven't had a chance to do it yet. So we would not bring anyone into the local church who had not been baptized as a believer. So I think that's what you're saying. But. Um, my question is... Yeah. That church, right? Yeah, no. Yeah, thank you. Uh, my question is so, if we have 15 new people that some of us may not have had a chance, I mean, hopefully we would have run into them, but, um, and you just bring up a list of names, and we trust our elders, obviously, but I wonder if there's any way we could find out those names two weeks ahead of November 7th and then right. try to connect with them and try to get a little more knowledge on, you know, kind of like we do, like if you have a deacon or when we were doing the elders, these are the men we're looking at to be elders. These are the men we're looking at to be deacons. These are the members, prospects that we're looking at to be members of our church and give it a time rather than just throwing names out there because I don't know, I would be really hard to stand up and say, whoa, that one, I know something bad about them. That would be hard to do in a group setting. Right. But if I knew ahead of time, y'all might want to look into this one area of their life. Just bring it to the elders. Say, you, you might come back and tell me, we've already looked at that. This yeah. is, that was years ago, whatever. But it would be a little more comfortable than stand up and go, hey, look, the elders missed something on this one. You know, like, I don't ever want to look like I'm overstepping the authority of the elders. Yeah, you know no, that's the plan. Yeah, absolutely. That's the plan. In fact, I think our bylaws demand two weeks. So it will always be minimum two weeks, but I think we're going to try. It's hard. It's a lot of administrative work. Can I get an amen, Sarah? <laughs> uh, we're going to try to do it as even earlier if we can. 
but certainly two weeks. By the way, our bylaws also say that we need to be voting members in and voting members out. We just haven't been operating within our bylaws. Bylaws are important, not nearly as important as the Bible, but we want to be operating within our bylaws, and our bylaws are elder-led congregational. And again, in case you miss some stuff, let me just reiterate, Jesus in Matthew 18 gives the church the keys of the kingdom. Why are we doing this? Because in some ways, just confessionally, the elders have taken your job from you. There's a really good book on this stuff called Don't Fire Your Church Members. In a sense, we had fired our church members with our previous practice, and we're wanting to give you your job back now um, in terms of elder-led congregationalism because Jesus gave it to you. Again, Matthew 18, the church, not the elders, are to do that. And same with 1 Corinthians 5. He's writing to the church in Corinth in there saying, you remove them from among you, purge the evil from among you, remove them from your fellowship. So it's us giving you the keys back that Jesus gave you. Um, so that's why we're doing all this. And if you say, well, why do we have to vote? Well, you don't have to vote. But in 1 Corinthians 5, you have this situation where a man is not repenting of his sin. And in 2 Corinthians 2, 6 and following, the majority of the church in Corinth saw it fit to restore him. And so how do you determine if there's a majority and minority if you're not doing something with some identifiable body of people? Vote's the easiest way to do it, which is why churches have voted historically. We, we, we're going to try to do the best we can on being prompt, but it is a lot of work to do. And praise God, this is good problems to have. We're so thankful that we have membership classes that are causing us a lot of administrative work. See, that's what I like. Now, we haven't figured this part out, and they may not come, but at a previous church that Alicia and I uh, were at, um, which, by the way, we, this was, you know how Southside, we, our song at Southside is probably in Christ alone. It's, it's quickly becoming uh, my only hope in life and death that we just sing so strong. Well, at this previous church, He Will Hold Me Fast was like our song, so it brought a lot of memories back. But what we would do there at members' meetings is we would say, you know, Tex, you're joining. Would you step out for a moment? Now, obviously, we've done some vetting here. It would be really bad if some things came up. And, you know, Tex, just stay back there. <laughs> But that, that, Lord willing, will never happen. And so we'll vote and say, okay, Tex, and Spencer would bring Tex, and then we welcome into the family, and they continue with the rest of the members' meeting. I think that's a lot of fun. Yeah, well, we need your help. We need your help. Um, certainly members meeting, but even every service of y'all just, y'all helping us. I mean, we're going to do our best to promote and talk. And by the way, with new members, uh, it's going to be required. Hey, as a, new, as a new member, what are we asking of you? Come on Sunday nights. Like, it's just going to be part of it. We want you there unless you're out of town. Uh, and we know it'll take a while. I mean, we've kind of, as, as leadership and we kind of think it's going to take a year to build momentum. But these, again, this one's unique because it's me talking too much. I'm going to be right here for the vast majority of these, and we'll have shorter teaching times and more prayer and song. But I'm hoping the sweetness of it will slowly build momentum. And so this time next year, we'll have twice as many. But y'all invite people and, you know, guilt them if you need to. That's all right. And, and use your relationships with people. So home group, D groups. I mean, if you, if you are here tonight and you see that you're in a D group of five people and there's only two of y'all here, 
Well, make that part of your discussion at your next D group or your home group. Say, hey, this is an important part of our church um, and explain the reasons why we're doing this and then say, y'all come. And, and I mean, you know, guilt trip them a little bit, but use the relationships you have and start with just one or two and then go from there. Maybe one more. No, great question. And this is the hard part. Listen, I wish we could just go Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. It's just what we do. It's hard because it's the first Sunday of the month. And when we have members meetings, it will replace this meeting. So it's kind of a communication problem. But no, this meeting is a Sunday night service. Anyone and everyone can come. We will have probably four. We haven't nailed it down yet. How many of we need to? Four members meetings that will just replace the time. And we'll just have to announce, hey, tonight's members meeting, so don't come if you're not a member. Or what we could do is after some singing, say, hey, if you're not a member, we're going to ask that you be dismissed. But Sunday nights are for anyone and everyone. Yeah. That was quick. Maybe, Jeff? How would an elder be removed? Oh man, painfully, Lord, may it never be. Um, like in a discipline scenario? Yeah, I don't know what our bylaw, I'm sorry, I should know our bylaws better. I don't, it's an important document. Um, it's laid out there and I couldn't tell you. I couldn't tell you. And it would depend on the type of sin, uh, how we would address it. But if it was like a total moral failure, we would treat it very similar in at a members meeting, talk about raise up, hey, we're praying, this sort of thing. If it was more of a public sin, like in Galatians 2 with Paul and Peter, it would be a more public um, rebuke in that sense. So it's so case specific, it's... Correct, yeah. But it's, it's, it's a similar situation in that it's going very slow, lots of training. In fact, conversations begin. Let's just pick on, uh, let's pick on Eric. He's not here. Uh, Eric, so what we do as elders, we're looking out. We're not trying to find elders. We're trying to recognize men doing the work. And so anyone who knows Eric Richardson knows he's been doing the work of an elder for quite some time. He's making disciples. He's hungry. He's theologically astute. Um, using his authority as well, those under his authority are flourishing, managing his household. So we start talking about Eric. Gosh, I wish I knew the first time we brought up Eric Richardson. I mean, it was a long time ago. Just to be watching. Men worth watching. Fast forward, talk to his wife, talk to him. Fast forward, begin a training process. Takes a year. He starts coming to elder meetings uh, halfway through. And then we put him before the congregation. Because for one, we, elders don't know, you know, maybe something will bubble up. But also on his end, maybe he can't. Uh, maybe it's a scheduling issue or something like that. So we don't want to put them before the congregation really until the elders and the candidate feel really confident just because it would look bad if we said, hey, you know, we're considering Eric and then two months later his work schedule changed and we say, yeah, never mind about Eric. It just doesn't, doesn't look good. It could produce tendency to gossip and that sort of thing. Um, so we put them forward and give three or four weeks, whatever it is. So it's not a vote, but it's saying, hey, we need your affirmation and involvement. Congregational consensus in that regard. All right. Hey, I want us to um, have some time for prayer. Well, uh, just for what it's worth, if you go to our website, it's kind of convoluted. We're going to move it so it's a little more accessible. But if you go to the next steps page on our website and then click on membership, 
Our membership handbook is linked there, and that has also in it our constitution and bylaws. And, and so if you had specific questions about what the processes look like, the bylaws are there, and you can read them and reference them there. Cool. Hey, if you didn't grab this book, there's like 10 copies left. It's really a really good book on really what we've been talking about for seven weeks. Any questions or concerns, holler at the leadership. Love to take you to lunch, drink coffee. We want clarity here moving forward. And... Um, Yeah, we're going to keep plowing in Matthew next week. Let's spend some time praying for one another.